Well, this morning, I'm really excited. We are starting a, a brand new sermon series on the kingdom of God. And this is going to be a sermon series from now until probably June, so months, uh, all the way up until Easter, all the way up until Pentecost, which is in early June. And it was going to be primarily in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at all the various instances when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. It's kind of the central teaching that he had, and it's amazing that it was so central to his teaching, and yet we don't have a lot of talk about it in sermons and in the church today, um, because I think a part of it just might be that the idea of a kingdom feels kind of elusive, all right? We're in the age of democracy, where we don't have, you know, when we think of kingdom, we think of, you know, medieval Europe or something with castles and kings and queens and knights jousting or something like that. The way the Bible talks about the kingdom is, is far different, and I think it's, uh, it's very, I learned a lot this week and was so immensely challenged. This is kind of a introductory sermon. Introductory sermons a sermon series can be weird, but I don't think this will be weird. I think this will be good, but um, it's not your usual sermon per se. Um, but here's the, kind of the main idea why I really felt led in prayer as to why, you know, why talk about the kingdom of God for so many weeks? Um, we need to live out the reality of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. Because this is, this is what, how, you know how Jesus described the kingdom of God? You know what he said it was? He said it was the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. He repeats that over and over as we're going to see. That was his central point. The kingdom of God is the good news. And I'm not sure if we're accustomed to hearing the gospel explained as the kingdom of God. And so this sermon is going to be breaking down what is the kingdom of God? What do we mean by that? And I pray you'll be just as challenged as I was. And so I want to start right there with the first point here that the kingdom of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should have some scripture behind you here on Matthew 4 23. This is how Jesus taught, right? Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the what? The good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Ten other times, just in the gospel of Matthew alone, you see the words gospel and kingdom together, the gospel of the kingdom or the good news of the kingdom. Therefore, when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the good news of Christianity, it is the good news of the kingdom of God. When we think of, usually uh, in modern day Christianity, uh, we think of, when we hear gospel, we think of cross. And certainly the gospel is not less than the cross, that's for certain. But if you zoom out, the kingdom of God becomes what you will see. And as you, I hope you'll see this morning, it is really good news. So let's define what we mean by that. There are a few things, if you pay attention, um, that are almost always found tied to the mention of the kingdom of God. I got lost in my office this week exploring this for hours because I was, I was learning myself. I was like, wow, I've, I've never observed this before. There's some things always attached to the kingdom of God. The mention of the kingdom is almost always tied to mention of the kingship of God, but also his rule, also his authority, his power, his glory, 
his faithfulness. We're going to see some instances of that. It's not so much a location, right? We think of a kingdom as like some kind of geographical area with the capital here and the king is ruling over. It's not so much how the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. It is really rather a description of God as king and what comes along with, with who God is of his essence. It is his power, his glory, his rule, his authority that is found wherever he is found having free reign as king. And so this is how we can define it. The kingdom of God is God's kingly rule, power, authority, glory, and majesty, wherever that may be found. Listen to how the Psalms describe the kingdom of God. Psalm 145, verses 10 through 13. It says this, the word of the God, the word of the Lord says, all you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful to all of his promises and loving towards all that he has made. So look at those things that are attached to the kingdom. Glory of God, his might, his mighty acts, his glorious splendor, his everlasting uh, dominion, uh, kingdom endures forever. He is faithful in his kingdom to his promises, and he is loving towards all that he has made. And it was Jesus' claim. It was Christ's claim as he was on this earth that the kingdom of God is near. He loves saying that over and over The kingdom of God is near. Like what we just read in the Psalms, he's saying it's here. Like it's near. It's coming right now. But he even elsewhere said something more fascinating. It's not just here or near. He said it's even within you for those who believe. Listen to this in Luke 17, verses 20 through 21. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, because they were all looking out for it. You remember, I talk about this a lot. Rome was ruling. This was a tyrannical empire. Nobody had freedom. They were oppressed, and they were looking in the Old Testament for all the prophecies of the kingdom of God to finally come to fruition that would be God's ruling and reigning over this entire world, and that all who brought oppression to God's people would be overthrown, and they were waiting for that. they They said, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, then will tell us, when is this kingdom coming? Listen to how he responds. It's fascinating. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, Jesus replied. But you can't look out and say, there it is. Nor will people say, here it is, or it's over there, you know, it's over there. Because the kingdom of God is within you. I would imagine if you were there, it's kind of like a, a mic drop. It's like, Think about that, see, and just kind of walks away. He's like, what are you talking about? Kingdom of God is within you. Let's put some pieces together this morning. The kingdom of God is where the glory of God is found, where his might is found, when someone is speaking of his might is found, when wherever evidence of the eternality of God is found, wherever the faithfulness of God is found, wherever his love is found, then Jesus says all of these, this is good news. You know why? Because all of those things can be found within you. We won't be able to look at the kingdom, actually observe and point at it because the kingdom of God is going to be found through his spirit as the story continues on in the gospels in the New Testament. 
God is spirit. You can't observe, you can't see God, it says in John 4, 24, because he is spirit. But yes, friends, the good news is that God himself and all of his power, his might, his love, his faithfulness will be found within us. This was a very core of Jesus's preaching. This was almost his entire ministry was sharing this good news. This was everything the gospel of Matthew was ultimately about, but there's even more, all right? The famous line of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Everybody can finish it. On earth as it is in heaven. This speaks of an amazing truth that the kingdom of God, where his rule, authority, might, power, glory, and splendor is found, it's in heaven ultimately. It's utterly unrestrained in heaven. He can be God with no barriers between him and those with him. His love permeates heaven. There's no sin or death there. And Jesus says when we pray, we want to ask that what is found in heaven, that God's, that unrestrained rule of God can be inbroken onto this earth. And so God's will will continually find an unrestrained place to abide here in this this earth through us. This was the message of the gospel. It was a prayer of Christ that in this unique and unexpected time, like he came like in the middle of history. People weren't expecting that. He shows up in the middle of history and the son of God appears and said the kingdom of heaven is now breaking into this world. Not perfectly, right? Because sin and death is still here. But it's in breaking into the kingdom of this world. That even now in this fallen world, in this new age that Jesus has uh, brought through his life, his death, and his resurrection, that one person at a time, the kingdom of God, would be at war with the kingdom of this world. And yes, this is a spiritual battle. I mean, read the Gospels. Jesus was in a constant demonic spiritual battle continually all throughout Jesus's ministry wherever he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom it was accompanied by supernatural activity which almost always included the dark spiritual forces being uh, uh, affected by this messiah preaching the good news listen to this Matthew 4 23 through 25 this is right at the beginning of his ministry Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. There it is again. And healing every disease and every sickness among the people. News spread about him over Syria. Now, those aren't even Jewish people. Those are the pagan Gentiles in Syria, right? And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed. It's like the hospital is just like emptied out everybody and said, go over there to him. We're hearing that he's a far superior hospital than we are, right? Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, that's 10 Roman cities in northern Israel, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, the region, across the Jordan, I mean, People were just flocking to this man. It's like when he started, he was facing all of the brokenness of this world. The things that when we see even today, when we hear about them, and we mourn, we know that these things, like sickness and disease, that it feels out of place in our human story. And Jesus is here facing it head on. In fact, Jesus could not even begin his ministry without going toe-to-toe 
was Satan himself in the wilderness. Before he started anything after his baptism, he was a straight in the wilderness. Continually, the idea present in the Gospels is that Jesus, by healing, preaching, ministering, even exercising demons out of people, that he was in a constant spiritual battle against Satan and against his kingdom. He was clashing immediately with a spiritual stronghold that Peter called the prince and power of the air, which leads us to point number three. Wherever the kingdom of God is found, Satan's kingdom is being overthrown. There's a story in Luke when Jesus sent out 72 of his followers to carry on his ministry before him in the surrounding towns. They return to him and they say, Jesus, it's, it's crazy. Like even the demons are afraid of you. And this is what he said, Luke 10, 18 through 20. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority do you think of the kingdom of God, his rule, his reign, his authority? He said, I'm, you have that authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. This is kind of his way of saying it's, it's not about you here, right? It's not about you ministering here. It's not about you. Rejoice that God knows you, right? That your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you are known by God. It's this power of the things happening through you. It's not about you. Don't make this about you. It's about him. Rejoice that you know him, that, that you are known by him. And now it says he saw Satan fall like lightning. He probably did, Satan probably wasn't actually in heaven. He actually just observed him falling. It's, he's speaking probably some kind of like metaphor here. This is my um, uh, um, uh, paraphrase, if you will, of what I think he was trying to say. He was saying, guys, as you were ministering, as you were sharing the good news of Jesus, and you actually heard things like demons fearing my name, you need to understand that as each person turned to me, as you ministered and people embraced the good news of this kingdom that is coming, I saw the one, I saw that one by one, the kingdom of Satan was losing its grip and authority over each and every person that you ministered to. And he's falling and it's happening quickly. That's what he was saying to them. We know that the death of Christ, for our salvation, for our uh, cleansing and forgiveness of our sins, it overthrew the very stronghold that Satan had in this world. Ultimately, it led to the overthrowing of death itself. His death on the cross, it cleanses us from the sin that separates us from God, as Isaiah speaks of. And just when Satan thought he had victory when Christ was dead, we know that three days later, he rose out of the grave. And the resurrection then marked the beginning of a new age in which we are still living into this day, where this kingdom of God is still breaking into this world through one forgiven and cleansed person at a time, where he sent his spirit into this world to Fill us with the might and the power and the authority and the glory of God within us as we are then sent out as his ambassadors. Friends, we carry that with us wherever we go. The idea is that we as Christians tell people the good news, that God himself came in flesh to this world, that he died and he washed away all of your sins. He died on your behalf. All of his righteousness is given unto you, that he was raised to give us new life. That is the life of his kingdom, the life of heaven. It's a gift now given to us. And then we show them 
the kingdom of God in our life, the life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, the life of spiritual authority over sin in our lives, that sin that reaps death and even great supernatural power that can occur through us as we minister to others in order that they may experience and see the fullness of the salvation of God and say, wow, he is real. You mean this God loves me? I have experienced his power. Hebrews 6 talks about uh, tasting the powers of the age to come. That's exactly what Jesus was bringing into this world. His might, his love, his faithfulness, his deliverance, his healing. His resurrection first is gifted to us within before we receive it physically on that day that he returns. That's his Christian ministry. Like, it sounds crazy, right? Like, I'm reading this stuff myself, and I'm like, whoa. Like, this is something that we're kind of expected to be carrying on throughout our lives. And a part of me was just like, am I I awake to this? Like, am I alert to this? I mean, clearly, Jesus taught continually in the Gospel of John, saying, all the stuff that I did, like, you guys saw that, right? Well, that's great. I'm getting out of here soon. I'm sending my helper down to fill you so that you may do things even greater than I did. There is an expectation that this can be our ministry as a church, that this can be us as his ambassadors here in 2021 or uh, two, wherever we are, 2022, today. Like, this can be us, friends. And I want to, to guide us into this. We're going to keep going. This is how Paul describes his ministry when he was out and about planting churches all over Asia Minor in places that had no knowledge of Christ, places that had no churches whatsoever, a place that America, within a few decades, may quickly, quickly be becoming more and more like. Romans fifteen seventeen through 19. Listen to Paul. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word, preaching, and by deed, serving. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Whatever the kingdom is preached, those things are attached. I'm telling you, it's all over the New Testament. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Are we open to this, church? I I need somebody to tell me why we should not expect it may look differently, I don't know, okay? But I'm reading this, and I'm, I, I want to take this, this book seriously. Like, I want to say that this, this is God's word to us trying to communicate, and I need somebody to tell me why we should not expect these things to continue today through us. Because in this ministry, this is a litmus test. Paul did not receive the glory. Did you hear what he said? He said, I don't want to talk about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. This was the kingdom of God coming down on those who Paul ministered to. Wherever you may see um, ministry, okay, and you you, you get news of of a name before you get news of Jesus, all right, or you hear about some, you know, the televangelist people or the healers on TV that are 
always dressed in extremely nice clothing that cost way more than I could ever afford, and you know their names, and you hear all the things that they're supposedly doing, and it, the first question that comes to mind is like, who is this really about, right? Like, who is this ministry actually about? Did you know that Jesus often healed people, and then you know what the first thing he did afterwards was? Shh, don't tell anybody. Like, he said that. Like, March 7, 36. He healed this guy. He was like, don't tell anybody. Just shh, keep it quiet. Why? When we're so accustomed to, uh, to self-marketing today, right, and, and getting a platform and putting ourselves up and putting a church, Jesus had every opportunity to become the world's most famous individual, reaping, I mean, untold power and riches or whatever uh, he would ever have wanted to do, but he was more often found, like, running away from the crowds, or like telling people, like, shh, don't tell anybody I healed you. This is why, because he was giving glory to his father and he was ministering to that person. He wasn't in it for anything for himself here. And it's a guide for us. Paul talks about this. Four or five weeks ago, we talked about not robbing the cross of its power. It's the same kind of thing here. This king, I mean, authentic kingdom ministry is not attached to some superstar's name, it's attached to Jesus' name. So that people walk away saying, wow, it's not that that preacher or that person is amazing, it's that Jesus is amazing. And I find Jesus and I experience Christ when I'm with that person. That is healthy kingdom ministry, friends. So now let's get practical as we're on the back end of here. The purpose of the kingdom in breaking into this world, the good news of the kingdom, it could also be said this way. The good news of the kingdom is that God is near. This is the truth that I know many of you, most of you in this room, you know this. But listen, we don't graduate from these basic, simple truths. Listen, God is near. You can actually know the God of this universe through his son, Jesus, by the filling of his spirit who resides in you. Ephesians 2.18 says, through him, through Christ, we now have access in one spirit to the Father. I hope it's still, if you're advanced in age or if you're young, the truth that we can actually know God, like relationally, have a actual relationship. There's a doctrine uh, that I forgot the name of that um, talks about how close God is. And it says that the reality of how the Bible talks about the closeness of God, one theologian said, he's closer than your very skin. How close is your skin? God's closer. Because he knows everything about you. As we sung earlier, he knows all the bad and all the good, but guess what? He still loves you. It's not like one day you, you did something dumb and he's like, I'm out of here. No. He actually pursued you harder in that moment to awaken your eyes and say, turn. Like, I'm here to help you, like, pull you back up. I'm not going to leave you, friend. He is always with us. And that is the good news that the kingdom of God is near and it's in within us. God's power, God's might, God's rule, his authority and his glory making its abode within us by his spirit. So what does this mean practically for our church? What does this mean for you and I? Well, if the kingdom of God is within us, and as long as Jesus has not returned, and we are still in this flesh, we know that we will be imperfectly living in the, or controlled by this kingdom. 
right? We will still experience the spiritual warfare of Satan trying to drag the powers of his kingdom, which is still present in this world, trying to drag the powers of his kingdom back over us. Yes, we've been transferred out of that kingdom, but he is still after us and our flesh is still very much fallen. The powers of evil, the powers of sin, injustice and cruelty and anger and sensuality and lust and so forth. But however, the good news of the kingdom, of the gospel, of his life and death and resurrection of Christ, that victory, it's available for us. Like we can actually find victory over these things. We are no longer enslaved to sin. No, we cannot be sinless, but there is sin that, that you, you feel enslaved to the good news is you, you can get out of that slavery. Like you can, you can break out over in authority over that sin and escape it because the cross was enough. His death was enough. And the spirit within you says you can be free of that sin. That is the good news of the kingdom. But as we embrace these things, we must by God's grace, like how, how do we cultivate these realities? How do we cultivate, you know, this, this conquering of sin in our life? We hear a lot more about, I, I'm preaching like the next four months in like one sermon, all right? So this is why it's, there's a lot going on, I'm aware. But we must be by God's grace to really begin tapping into this. Like this is already a reality if you're a Christian. The, you're already in his kingdom, right? We, this is, the Bible is very clear. But to, to cultivate these realities among us, by God's grace, we need to be a people to whom the kingdom belongs. That's how Jesus described it. Jesus explained to us that there are certain characteristics and qualities in us that kind of act like the soil in which to cultivate a proper home for more of the fullness of God's kingdom to be found within us. Like I said, many sermons are coming on this topic. Jesus had a lot to say about this. But one thing in particular, I made a map out. If you, ever, if you want a copy, I'll feel free to send it to you. I mapped out every instance I forgot how it's 30 or something. Every instance of when Jesus talked about the kingdom and I kind of, you know, divided them up and how he talked about it, the characteristics of things. And it was just, it was really interesting. But there's something that I found that was repeating as I was doing this when he talked about the kingdom belongs to blank. Like he mentioned different people the kingdom belongs to, but there's one in particular that he repeated. And this is why I love Jesus's, just the way he talked about things. Like we can expect in our, you know, in our 21st century mindset, when we think of the kingdom belongs to, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, you think of the Billy Grahams of the world. Well, the kingdom definitely belongs to the person whose ministry was incredibly powerful and bigger scale than any, you know, I've ever seen before, we've ever heard before. Like, we think of those kind of spiritual superheroes, and we think, yeah, the kingdom definitely belongs to them. So the goal is that in my Christian life, I have to learn to mimic those spiritual superheroes if I'm to then tap into the power. And Jesus says, no. Actually, that's not your, the first go-to. Who was the first go-to for Jesus? And I love this about him. He repeated it many times. Children. Children is the first stop. Right? And even today, it's so upside down, especially upside down in the Roman Empire. They didn't respect children at all. And Jesus said, that's the first stop because the kingdom belongs to the little ones. Listen, where childlike qualities are found is where the kingdom of God can be found and be cultivated. Listen to Jesus' own words, Matthew 19, 13 through 14. Then children were brought to him 
that he might lay his hands on them, bless them, and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, right? Get out of here. This guy's too important for kids. Get those measly little, you know, runts out of here. And what did Jesus say? Stop. He said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is just two instances, Matthew 18, 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's a superstar, Jesus? Like, who's a, who's a man or woman who's just amazing here? Like, who's the greatest? And calling to him a child, little kid's playing over here, right? Maybe Billy Graham's standing over there, and he's like, kid, come over here puts him in the midst of them, and he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself. You know what that is pointing us to, to say all these things we're talking about this morning, if you don't have humility, if there is not humility within you or within this, this body, this church, this congregation, we're not going to find these things, friends. We're not going to tap into these things because if you have humility, you'll be emptying yourself and say, it's not about me. In the moment that you realize that it's not about you or not about this church, not about our own glory, when we live in that spot, Jesus will have more control over us. His spirit will have more nooks and corners and crannies of our heart to finally permeate and finally fill and say, yes, I got all of you now. Like, I, I got you. That is how it means, what it means to be childlike. If you want to see joy, go spend time with children. If you want to see peace, go spend time with the child. You may have to redefine peace, maybe not so much stillness or quietness, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> if you want to go and see faith, see wonder, see loyalty, see faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, go and spend some time with a child. Yes, they are fallen too. Children aren't perfect. We know this. But there's a wonder about that childlike stage that Jesus points to and says, that's it. That's it. Don't, don't, don't graduate from that. Like, that's it. For the kingdom belongs to those children. Friends, as we close, my challenge to you is this. As we walk through this sermon series, we will continually be hitting on many different ways Jesus taught concerning the kingdom of God. However, um, better than me just giving, you know, practical things here, um, we're going to have stories like live stories that will end every single sermon series, every si most sermons at least, in the sermon series. Uh, many of you in this room have experienced some of the things that I'm talking about, and we want to hear from you. Um, you've experienced the power and deliverance and transformation of God entering into your life by faith in Christ. Um, and many of you have experienced his love and faithfulness to tremendous degrees and have firsthand witnessed the power of the gospel and even have experienced seasons of childlike faith in the process. And so, we're going to be ending each sermon with a story from one of you, what I'm going to call kingdom stories. We'll be hearing testimonies. That's a Christianese word, right? Testimony. But the idea of you're testifying to God's kingdom work in your own life. And so this morning, we're going to start. So Will and Rosa, can I call you guys up? They're going to come sit up here behind me. And we're going to hear their story. Here you go, brother. 
I've never done this before in the church setting, but that's all right. What's up, guys? What's up? Thank you for doing this. No problem. Um, Willem Rosa, Donato. <laughs> and um, how long have you guys been married? How, how, how long? How long? 25. Yeah. I just didn't want to get that wrong. <laughs> Better safe than sorry, my friend. How long have you guys been attending uh, this church? Seven years now? Seven, Seven years. years. And uh, how long have you been Christians? Eight. It was before, right before we joined Emmanuel, shortly. So about, about, eight, about eight years. Eight years, awesome. So um, can you share, be mindful of time, but can you share how you became Christians and the events that kind of led up to your baptism? Okay, I'm going to let you start. I'm going to win that you do that. Okay, so, um, so I always, I grew up in a Christian home. I was born and raised Catholic. I went to St. Paul's here in Wilmington uh, my, most of my childhood. Uh, baptized in my first Holy Communion at, at uh, St. Paul's Church, um, and, but never really had a relationship with Christ. Um, my parents split when I was 10. I went to Puerto Rico. I experienced the Pentecostal uh, faith for a bit, which um, scared the hell out of me. Believe me, it really scared me. Um, and I mean, I mean that sincerely. It really terrified me, a lot of the stuff that was going on at that age. Sure. And, um, and then uh, my, my stepfather and my mother were married, and I spent five years in the Jehovah's Witness faith. And I just got sick and tired of it. And so um, I really got tired of, of Christianity, if you will. I went on a journey to actually prove God wrong or prove the existence of or the validity of Christianity wrong. And uh, everything, I was really new agey and everything pointed back to Christ. All the evidence that I found pointed back to Christ, but I never accepted him. Um, until some miraculous day at a church, uh, there was an altar call. I was there for business, not for church. And God saved me mm. that day. But you, Rosa? Um, I always believed in something growing up. Um, I grew up Catholic. And uh, how do I make this short? Um, I came to Christ. I... I I was married before, for, for those who didn't know, and I, w I was struggling with that relationship, and I always prayed, and I came to the pastor one day, and I, I had asked the pastor, how do I get my husband here? Because I was going to church by myself, and um, he never wanted to come, so he said, we'll just pray, and he'll come. Um, so that didn't quite work that way. Uh, so I, I went through a divorce, and uh, I was so angry and so bitter. I had walked away from the Lord, and I had said, I'm not going to go back until you bring him first, until my husband steps a foot into church. And uh, how long later? Fifteen. Fifteen years later, um, he brought him in first. And then he came and told me the news about, Let's go to church on Sunday. And I was like, wow, like 15 years later. Yeah. Um, mm. And that's how I became a Christian. Yeah. I'll add that, 
grab this. I'll, I'll add that um, when I got saved that day at this Baptist church in, in Newark, um, we had never, 15 years of marriage, we never talked about church. We never talked about God. Never. So when I encountered my Jesus, I had no idea how I was going to tell my wife that my life is no longer going to be the same. And the whole ride home, I was terrified to tell her about what just happened to me. And so when I told her, I'll never forget this, her response to me was, I've been waiting for you. Mm. And then she told me that about the story she just shared with you. And then so our journey begins. That's awesome. Um, as Christians, can you think of a time in your marriage, your life, this is open-ended, when you, could, when, when you did experience just the, the power and majesty of God, deliverance of God, the salvation of God, the rescue, reconciliation, any of the above that just kind of broke into your marriage and your life in a powerful way? Uh, for me, um, I, I recognized as much as I adored and loved and cherished my wife uh, before receiving Christ, um, I realized I never loved her until I loved her like Jesus. I mean, my, my love and our, our passion, our romance for each other, um, honestly, it was a fraction um, then of what it is now. And it's only as a result of the power of God and his kingdom entering into our lives that I, we kind of now share this amazing, because I love her like a daughter of the king, right? I, I, I know who her daddy is, right? So we just experience a level of intimacy in our relationship and not just physical intimacy, but, you know, we share now a level of, of just connection um, because first she's, she's, a daughter to the king, right? And so that's always how I see her. And it's just transformed our marriage um, and how we deal with each other, how we show grace to one another, um, even getting us through our difficult times and we still have them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, what has, uh, when you guys have kids, what has parenting taught you? There you go about the childlike faith oh, uh, <laughs> that Jesus called us to have. Did you have that one? To love them unconditionally, um, and no matter the mistakes, <laughs> and all the times they go crazy and, and say, you were not a good mom to me, or you're not a good dad. Um, regardless of whatever, I've always loved them. Um, and I always forgive them. So when they walk away, um, I'm always, we're always here to receive them. Mm-hmm. So um, I see that, I, I know that the Lord, that when I walk away from the Lord, I know that his arms are always open to receive me back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'll add that, you know, it's, it's helped us be better parents and that it's helped us to exercise even that much more grace to our kids. And when I'm dealing with our children, even in difficult times, I always ask myself, wasn't I that to Jesus? The, their rebellion, their, their whatever. I'm like, I was that to Jesus and how he still loved me and he still embraced me in all of my craziness. Um, so it's just helped us experience a vulnerability yeah. 
with them. Um, it's helped us see them, our children, in a different light. Um, and like you said the, in the sermon, you know, the about being like the little ones, and it's just seeing them. And even when I see my my grandson now, or my grandsons, my, my boys. Um, I see them, we see them, and we're like, they're so carefree, they're so worry-free, they just want to enjoy life, and, and I'm like, okay, th- that's, that's what it's about, right? That's, that's, the, that's what the kingdom's about. Um, being free of burden, um, just the vulnerability, you know, all of that, you know, when it comes to kids. Yeah, that was always funny when, when I'm you know, you're in the stressful season, or just your anxiety feels through the roof, and one of my kids comes up, it's like, let's put together a puzzle. I'm like, it's not the time. I'm stressed out. And they're like, just put together the puzzle with me. Because you're right, like, there's, they don't carry anxiety, right? They, right. they, they just walk, just play with me. Right. Have a puzzle. And there's some kind of freedom to find in that, right? To say, yeah. like, yeah, like, actually, Jesus did say, don't worry about tomorrow. Like, right. Play with the Put together the puzzle because yeah, the yeah. kids know they're they're loved and they're cared for and yeah. as are, as are we yeah right and so you know we should live yeah. similarly too yeah definitely awesome. not worry about time right. <laughs> exactly yeah right um, if you had anything last question here I could ask more but if you have anything to share with the congregation just you guys have kind of an a more adult conversion right so before and after in your life like if there's anything that you could share just of that before and after. Uh, not knowing Christ, knowing Christ, salvation, um, any wisdom or just thoughts that if you could share right now with all of us. We talked about this yesterday. You, you got this. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, all right, I'll go and then you go, okay? Okay. All right. Um, I guess the, the wisdom that I can share from, again, our eight years of now walking, fully embracing and walking with Christ um, is that, well, number one, it's, this is a process. And I love how the Bible tells us that God takes us from glory to glory and faith to faith. And sometimes we just have this, um, this idea that the, the moment of our salvation, that we have to be absolutely perfect and sanctified. And when you have that mentality, you're just always trying to live up to an expectation that you'll never meet. And so be okay with where God has you right now and know that God's continuing to refine you and work on you. You'll never get, you'll never be perfectly glorified and sanctified until you meet him. And so I just enjoy living in God's presence in the moment in this flawed state that I am in and just ask God to continue to work in me as, as I go through my life. And so I think that's my, my biggest takeaway. That's just me. You got, you got thoughts. Here you go. I think you said everything I was going to Oh, goodness. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Yeah. So, All right. So, well, um, that was good. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah. No I appreciate problem. you. Can you give them a round of applause? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.